Oh, I love that there are people that love Jesus still in this world. Praise God. Praise God that I get to be one of them. Praise God he saved me. Praise God he saved you. We are a blessed people. And we should not forget the benefits of belonging to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Woo! Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, which we will not turn from the left or to the right. But Lord Jesus, our eyes will be focused on your words. Uh, Father, help us to live according to your words, your will, your ways. Father, that blessing and prosperity, knowing you, living in the benefits of who you are and what you do for us in Christ. Lord Jesus, may it be the song forever on our lips. May it be in between our eyes and on our hands and all that we do. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 13. Now, you remember chapter 12? Finally, this, this promised plague comes. Moses and Aaron have talked to Pharaoh, spoken to Pharaoh ten times, saying this is exactly what's going to happen next. Pharaoh still thinks he's in charge, so no, we're not going to do it that way. Who is Yahweh that I should listen to him? Well, the tenth plague finally comes, and out go Israel in haste. Egypt wants them gone and is emptying their pockets for them to leave with all of their gold and silver. And now, right before we get into the wilderness wanderings, God speaks through Moses to his people, very specifically to big things happening, the consecration of the firstborn of all God's people and the feast of unleavened bread, which a lot of people get confused with Passover because Passover on the 14th, Feast of Unleavened Bread starts on the 14th, but it goes for seven more days where they're not eating bread with any yeast in it. It's also called the Feast of Booths. Let's begin in chapter 13. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this like Jews first. I tell you what, I am really enjoying my reading from Jewish rabbis and Jewish writers. Uh, if anybody really understands the Old Testament, it's Jews, right? They have a lot of good. I hate that they missed that Jesus part, that foreshadowing. Uh, but we're going to read this like Jews, and then we're going to end up and finish it up like Christians in Romans chapter 6. You guys are going to love this one. It's a lot of fun. And the Lord said to Moses, now, again, they've just left Egypt. you got a couple million people just leaving this life that most of them have known uh, all of their lives. In fact, nobody's there from the beginning. It's been 430 years. So all these people have ever known is Egypt, which is why once we get into the wilderness, they're going to be uh, thinking backward towards, the, uh, towards their days in which they were enslaved, bitter, harsh enslavement. But they're going to remember it fondly as they get into the wilderness because everything is new. So what does God do? He instills some, some traditions. He instills some ways to, to build 
a new identity for his people. Isn't it amazing? In 70 AD, Israel was destroyed and burned to the ground. And some 2,000... Israel was not a nation for almost 2,000 years, but still there is a people that have this national identity that has been formed in them through the through remembering what their ancestors did through the Exodus, through remembering how God made them a nation, destroying seven days off the face of the planet. And then in the 1940s, here they come back. Israel is a nation again which many saw a sign of prophecy being fulfilled in that, and I certainly do. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Here's the two words from uh, the opening of chapter 13 I want you to remember. Mine, God says Mine. I think it's Abraham. Uh, how do you say his last name? Is it Kuiper? I always said Cooper, but I, I'm pretty sure it's Kuiper. <laughs> he is famous for saying, There is not one blade of grass in all of creation which God does not say, Mine. We see a redeemed people, we see a free people living, leaving Egypt, moving to a land flowing with milk and honey. But God reminds them as they are leaving their bitter, harsh enslavement, God reminds them that this freedom that you have, there's still a master of your house. You were slaves in Egypt, and I have redeemed you. I have freed you through the blood of the Lamb, but you're not really free. You're still slaves. You still have a master. I need you to know you're mine, and here's how I'm going to remind you. All your firstborns belong to me. This is before the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood where all of the sons of Levi were tapped out of the 12 tribes. One tribe was, was tapped to become the priests of all. And they couldn't own land. They couldn't do uh, anything. They had, they had to live off of everyone else who would bring offerings. That's how they ate and that's how they were fed and that's how they had clothes. Everyone else worked and gave uh, a, a proceedings to this Levitical priesthood. But before the priesthood, God said, set aside all your firstborns, not just people, but all your animals too. The first Born of the womb that is male belongs to me. It's how I remind all of you that you are mine. How many of you think this is going to be a good service? You know what we've forgotten? Our founding fathers used to say it all the time. We think freedom is, I get to do whatever I want to do. It's all about me, but there is no freedom without virtue. Got to have virtue for freedom to work. God is building in his people this realization that we were slaves. Let's make it Christian real quick. We were slaves to sin and to death, but God freed us. But now we're slaves to righteousness. This is where we're going to go. Romans chapter 6. I hope you like it. 
Verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. And again, what's the big deal with this? Yeast, the leaven that makes the dough rise, it represents, just takes a little bit for the whole dump, the whole, <laughs> the whole dump, the whole <laughs> block of dough. <laughs> I don't know. Just takes a little leaven to get put in there and it works its way through. Because that's what sin does. A little leaven leavens the whole lump is the way Jesus said. That's what We were wrecked and enslaved by sin. And the unleavened bread represents the removal of sin from our lives, which is the removal from death as well. Because the only reason death comes is because of sin. The wages of sin is death. Today in the month of Abib... You are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, all the protein and all the sweetness and the carbohydrates, you will need to live healthy lives. This is the land I'm going to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. I want you to remember this. Just like all your firstborn belong to me, I want you to remember this. Have it in your mind. Do this every year at this time. Remove the leaven from your bread and keep this service. Remembering does a couple things. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's worth repeating. One of the first things, remembering what God does. That's why history is important. You guys know I, I started a Ph.D. program and I quit because I'm lazy and just didn't want to do it. No, because I kept having these interactions. These people who were teaching me. And I would bring up, so did you know you have to qualify everything in a Ph.D. program? Terry knows. He's a, he's a Ph.D. over here. You've you got you to, gotta, man, you've got to be, you be smart. You've got everything. I said in a paper one time that Paul was one of the great leaders of the New Testament church. And the little note I got beside it was, who says? <laughs> and I just thought, I don't, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't know where the source work for that is. I just know he wrote 13 books of the 27 in the New Testament. think that makes him a great leader. Don't know how to qualify it. But I kept bringing up examples from history. This happened. Here's how I know. And one professor, she looked at me and she was like, history doesn't repeat itself. And I just thought, I'm in the wrong. Yeah, I just, I, just, I can't be here anymore. Because she's going to learn it does repeat itself. And there is a new Nazi party. I'm pretty sure they're all educators. Sorry, Terry. I love you. <laughs> I don't mean that about you. We got some good ones. Praise God. But I think about how much money I pay for my son to go and learn from some of these people, and it just makes me angry. This is why we got to remember remembering what God has done. Did you know the Jews, still today in Passover, in the Feast of the Passover Cedar Meal, it's very organized because they have to put themselves in the place of their ancestors. And we wonder where this strong national identity they have comes from. We wonder where their success 
and their prosperity come from. They are branded by these Old Testament books. They remember what most have forgotten. It's why they're still around and as strong as they are. Remember, memory, remembering creates gratitude for what God has done. And even if you weren't there to experience it personally, there is a gratitude in remembering how God delivers his people. And we need gratitude in our world, amen? What would it look like? How different would it be if we remembered not all the bad stuff, but all the good ways in which God has brought us and made us a people? Because that's what he has done. Red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight. From all the nations, God has made a people, and it starts right here. And we should remember his benefits and his blessings. We will be a gracious people full of grateful hearts, which is what God wants for his people. Remembering also builds faith. Right? Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Why? Because one day we're not going to need faith anymore. We're going to behold his glory. We're going to be in his presence. We won't need hope anymore because we're there in his presence. We won't need faith anymore because we're there. But love will be eternal forever. We will bathe and bask in the love God has for us forever. But right now, faith is important. And where does faith come from? Faith comes from remembering who God is and what God does. Builds gratitude and it builds faith in which we both need. It's why God builds this into his people. Verse 6, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast of the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be, it shouldn't even be seen with you. Remove it from your houses, because again, leaven, just a little, leavens everything. Sometimes the spores in a breeze could bring it across the room, and your bread could be leavened, so remove it from you. It shouldn't be seen with you and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory you shall tell your son on that day it is because of the lord of what the lord did for me when i came up out of egypt just because i'm curious how many of you have ever partaken in a traditional jewish cedar meal a passover meal yeah so you know about the four sons right right so the Jews, had, and it all comes from Scripture. We see two sons here in our text today. We saw one son last week. There's another one in Deuteronomy chapter 6 coming if we ever go through Deuteronomy together. But surely as Christian men and women, you've already read Deuteronomy 6. You know about that. The wise son. There's the wise son, the wicked son. There is the, uh, the simple. Sometimes it's called the stupid son. <laughs> that was me, just so you know. And then there's the son who doesn't even know how to ask a question. Four times God's people are told to train their children, to speak to their children about what God has done. And each of the, those four times we find that in Scripture right here is one. 
rabbis would assign uh, significance to, the, to these, these people because all our kids are different, right? God has a way for us to speak to all of our kids regardless of what place they are in. The wise son brings the question up because he wants to know. The wicked son doesn't care. The simple son is stupid. <laughs> and there's even children, young children, don't even know how to ask the question, God provides a way for parents to train their children to remember, regardless of where they are in life, to train their children in what God has done. Why? Because those children need to grow up into uh, people of gratitude and people who know the Lord and remember what he has done, regardless where they may find themselves in their place in life. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. Now, Jews took this very literally, and they actually have boxes where they put God's word, uh, the Torah, God's law. They, they put it in a little box, they strap it to their head, and they, they strap it onto their arms, and with, with leather bands, they wrap it all down their hands so that they can look, and they can remember who God is, and what God has done, and what God says. We've got some pictures for you, because I wanted you to see what these, they call them Teflon, what they look like. Show those. See the, see the box on the side of the arm, the box that's got God's word in it it's constantly. God wants it in our minds, but this is a physical representation. The Jews took very literally to have God's word constantly on their foreheads and on their, on their arms, how they work. God's law should be preeminent in everything. Because if it's not, if we don't remember, we forget. How many of you, you heard me say it before, we leak why do we proclaim the gospel every week? Don't we grow out of that bread? Okay, we get it. Jesus died for our sins. Why every week do we go back and ground ourselves in the gospel? Because we leak and we need to be reminded every day, every moment, every hour of what God has done for us. Verse 11. We, we're not moving as fast as I thought we were going to move, but we're still moving fast. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all the first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals, all uh, that are male shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall remind you. I want you to do this every time a womb is open and a male is born. doesn't matter if it's a person or an animal. It all belongs to me. And the donkey has to be redeemed by, you know, most animals that they had in these days could be used in the sacrificial systems that God gives them, which are foreshadowings of the death of our lamb, King Jesus, who lived the perfect life, died in our place for our sins. The Lamb of God, behold, who takes away the sin of the world. But what happens if it's a donkey? If it's an unclean animal? As the Jews saw the donkey as being. Even the donkey has to be redeemed. If it's not redeemed through the blood of a lamb, then you've got to break its neck. It can't live. You can't own it. 
God is sending a serious message. The unclean can't make clean. No, what is clean? Only that can redeem the unclean. If it's not redeemed, you've got to break its neck. It doesn't deserve to live, and you don't deserve to have it. I love God's word. It's serious. Verse 13, every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come, your sons ask you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from our house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt." Still today, religious Jews, in, the, in, in this day it was five silver shekels, but today, when a firstborn son is born into a Jewish family, that son belongs to the Lord. They have to go into the service uh, of, of the, what was the temple, but now are just uh, where, where they worship together with their local rabbis. That son belongs to the house of God unless it is redeemed. And how, do they, how did they redeem and how, how do they still redeem today? They take five silver dollars and they, they go and they give uh, the rabbi to redeem the son so that the son doesn't have to go into the service but can stay with the family. Otherwise, the son belongs to the Lord. The animals, the firstborn, belong to the Lord. They are mine, God says. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6. Are you ready for some Romans? You can tell I've taught through Romans because that's how my Bible looks. <laughs> Lots of colors on this. Big idea. God's people are free from Egypt, but they're not free. They still have a master. They still belong to somebody. They were simply redeemed. They were bought with a price. The price is the blood of the lamb in Exodus. The price for New Testament Christians is the blood of our lamb, Jesus, the lamb of God. This is what Paul tells the Roman church, dead to sin, but alive to God. What then, verse 15? Because when we hear the gospel, isn't it too good to be true? And isn't it sometimes in our wickedness, we still remember Egypt. We're not in Egypt anymore through Christ, but we still remember Egypt and how fun Egypt was and all the vegetables that were so great over there. So God's made us free. He's redeemed us so it doesn't really matter how we live anymore. What happened to our country? 
We became a group of people who really bought into the lie that freedom means we don't have to listen to anyone. We can do whatever we want. Family has been destroyed. People now have lost their minds. And we are to blame. God delivers us from sin and from death. But it's so that we can be no longer slaves to that, but slaves to virtue, slaves to righteousness, slaves unto God. Our lives should reflect the ownership that exists between creator and creation. We are not little gods over ourselves. He is God. He is master. He is Lord. And he has purchased us, redeeming us from sin and death at the price of his own blood. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin. See, everybody in here, I got news for you. You're a slave. The question is, the question is not are you or are you not a slave? The question is, who is your master? If you're a slave of sin... You have become obedient. Let me go back to verse 17 and start over. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient wholeheartedly from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, God's word. And having been set free from sin and have become slaves of... This is the language God uses to remind us, yes, Egypt is gone. But we still owe somebody our lives. There is somebody worth your life. There is somebody who has paid the price to deliver you from sin and death. And you owe him your allegiance. When he says whatever he says that you don't want to hear. I thought for a couple years I was going to be a missionary to Chad, Africa. I was scared to death. <laughs> but if God would have kept that conviction in my heart, I would have had to have gone. How can you live outside of obedience to the one who has bought you? We belong to him. Why, why is our church so different from so many other churches? Because we believe this. Now, what some people will tell you, and I'd just like to thank all of you for coming and allowing me to spiritually abuse you today, (laughs) because that's evidently a new millennial thing. You say something people don't like, people don't want to hear, it's abuse. Listen, I grew up in spiritually abusive churches. I know what real spiritual abuse is. When they take up a third offering, that's abuse. (laughs) 
But me telling you, you don't belong to yourself and you're not a little God. You belong to one who is greater. God Almighty, creator of you. That's not abuse. That's love. It's love. To tell you what this book says trumps the way you feel. I'm reading two books right now that are amazing. And somebody gave me both these books. Uh, I got one of them last Monday. Uh, somebody actually brought it to church, and I preached that one sermon two weeks ago. I hadn't read this book, but I said everything that's in this book so far. It's called Live Not By Lies by Rob Dreher. You should buy it. You should read it. It's amazing. There's another one by Carl Truman called Strange New World. Has anybody seen What is a Woman? I was not a subscriber to the Daily Wire, but evidently I, we had to become a subscriber so we could watch this movie by Matt Walsh. It is a phenomenal documentary about how people have lost their minds. Because it's all about what we feel. You millennials, you are going to wreck our country. You are ridiculous. Forget, I'm going to use a word, and I shouldn't use this word, but just butthurt. Did I just trigger you? I'm so sorry. We've got some therapy puppies in the back. Grow up. You have not been abused. You're just pathetic. I'm having a good time. Happy Father's Day. That's really all I wanted to say, so thanks for coming. Let's finish Romans chapter 6, verse 18. Having been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness, I am speaking in human terms because of your, I love how Paul calls everybody stupid, because of your natural limitations. <laughs> For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Where does lawlessness need, lead? More lawlessness. So now present your members, present yourselves, your bodies as slaves to righteousness. Leading. What does being a slave to righteousness look like? It leads to, where does lawlessness lead? More lawlessness. Where does fully giving ourselves to our good God lead us to? It leads to sanctification, to being washed and made clean through the hearing of God's word and bending our wills, not, not what we will. That's a satanic verse. It's one of the Ten Commandments of the satanic church. Do what thou wilt. No, do what God wants. Slaves. To righteousness which leads to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? How many of you remember things that were done in the name of freedom? Things that were done in the name of fun? That once we are washed over with the sanctification of God's word, we become ashamed of those things that we once participated in. It's what sanctification looks like. Listen, none of us in this room are perfect men or perfect women. 
But isn't it true in Christ we're better than we were yesterday? Isn't that true? If it's not true, something's wrong. You don't have your nose in this book. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, how does Paul start every one of his letters? Most of the time it's translated as servant because that's less offensive. But the word doulos, it means slave. I, Paul, a slave of God. It's how he goes around talking about himself. I'm not in charge. God's in charge. It's not my gospel. It's his gospel. I'm not making this up. I'm just giving you what's been given to me. Because that's what slaves do. They do what they're told. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If the ushers would come and begin to prepare the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, may we take a moment and reflect upon this. It's not my gospel. It's not Four Points Church gospel. It's not the Christian churches in America's gospel. It is the gospel of God. The question we ask ourselves is not whether or not we are slaves. The question we ask ourselves as we participate in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ is who is our master? When the Lord Jesus is our master, things begin to look different. Things begin to look better because sanctification is taking root and the family is becoming strong again and God's people will be full of gratitude and full of faith in the world once more. And this is our desire for God's will to work itself out in our world. Let's pray. Father, we pray at the end of every service. Lord God, we know that you are the only one with power to change the hearts of men and hearts of women. So in this prayer, before we participate in the body and blood of our Lord, we ask for you to do what only you can do. Make us hate our sin continue to reveal our sin to us, that we may be a repentant people covered by your blood and a people that loves you and loves to walk in obedience to your will. Lord, that is our prayer. It is in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.